Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series, Mysteries of the Kingdom, today with a message entitled, The Value of the Kingdom. So let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 50, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. All of us have heard of stories of people who have made bad choices and in consequence of those choices experience considerable harm. But did you also know that a great many of those stories are really just stories about what a person valued most? See, here's an example. A man sees an opportunity for advancement in a firm, an advancement that would bring him a lot of money and also the respect of his colleagues. And so he puts in 16-hour days. After all, that's, that's what it takes. And in the process, he's hardly ever at home. His relationship with his wife is now minimal at best, and what little time they have is is often taken up in what needs to be done. That is, the furnace in the house needs to be replaced, and little Johnny is going to need braces, and no time for relationship and joy, intimacy, and the pursuing of a common life of faith with his wife. You know, in the absence of these things, our upwardly mobile man finds that he spends a great deal more time with an attractive business colleague, and they never talk about the need to replace the furnace. They they talk about shared goals, and they find delight in each other. Well, you know where this leads. Adultery, the end of the marriage. His kids don't know him, and they don't care to know him, and eventually his colleague, well, she moves on, and he's left alone and lonely and a hardened old man. So what's this story about? Well, it's the story about a man who values something the most. In this story, the man has made a horrible error in judgment. He thought his career advancement to be of greater value than the woman with whom he stood at an altar and promised to love and cherish until death parts them. Far more than simply a story about adultery, this is a story of value. You know, it's been said that some people know the price of everything and the value of nothing. That is, they know what their desired lifestyle will cost them, but they don't know how valuable that lifestyle is. Now, all that to say, how valuable is the life of Jesus? How valuable is forgiveness of sins? How how valuable is personal holiness? How valuable is the knowledge of Scripture? How valuable is it to know intimacy with your Savior? How valuable is it to see and understand God's providence in every single event in your life? How valuable is it to love your brother and sister in Christ? Now, we've been studying Matthew 11 to 13. It's a section of the Gospel of Matthew that we've entitled The Mysteries of the Kingdom. Matthew 13 contains seven parables explaining some of the great mysteries. And we have up to this point examined four of them. First, the parable of the sower told us that the kingdom of heaven would vary in terms of its receptiveness. Second, the parable of the wheat and the weeds told us that the kingdom would be fruitful and that Satan would plant counterfeit disciples among true believers. And third, the parable of the mustard seed told us that even though the kingdom seems so small at this point in time, it would one day rule the earth. And fourth, even though the kingdom was small now, it would have a powerful influence in all of the cultures of the earth. And now we've come to the last of the three parables, and Jesus will tell us what we so desperately need to hear, just how valuable is the kingdom. And in this, Matthew records the last three parables of chapter 13. So I'm reading Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 50. 
The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So let's study these last three parables of Matthew 13. First, the parable of the treasure hidden in a field. Like most of the parables that Jesus told, they are about the kind of life that people experienced. Now, from our vantage point, of course, going through a field that's not ours and finding a lot of money in it and then keeping it, well, that sounds like we need a crash course in ethics. But again, let's understand the times in which Jesus lived. You know, people didn't have banks or safety deposit boxes or or safe places to keep what was valuable. But like in every culture, people had valuable things. Well, think, for instance, of the woman spoken of in Mark chapter 14. Mark says that she poured out on Jesus' head an alabaster flask of ointment, and then he adds the words, very costly, he says. Indeed, what was in that jar might have been her entire retirement plan. Where did people keep their costly things? Well, you'll remember that Jesus spoke of laying up treasure on earth where thieves break in and steal. That was the problem with valuables. Thieves knew they had to be around somewhere, and so a game was underfoot. Owners sought to hide their valuables, and thieves sought to find them. Now, if you hid your wealth in your house, well, that might be fine for a while. But what would you do in time of war or when outlaws were a problem? And because of wars and raids and the difficulty of finding a secure place, people found other places to hide their money. And there's an intriguing scroll called the Copper Scroll. It's found in the caves of Qumran, or what we normally call the, the caves of the Dead Sea Scrolls. But in this one scroll, the Copper Scroll, well, is listed 64 places in Palestine where treasure was supposed to have been hidden. In other words, this hiding of treasure somewhere, that was a a common practice. And of course, you had to remember where you hid it, and in some cases, the hiding place was written down. But what of the owners of these hidden treasures? Well, in many of these cases, at least so it sometimes happened, where there was a great disruption, well, the owner had died long ago, and the treasure is long forgotten. And so when Jesus tells the story of a treasure hidden in a field, everyone's listening up because everyone had heard of incidents just like this. Houses were often unsafe, and so treasure was hidden in a field. Now, here's another key to the story that Jesus told. When anyone found a treasure like this, a treasure that had long ago become forgotten, it was often a legal question as to who had the rights of the treasure. And because it was often the case that no family knew of it, it was decided in one of two ways. If the field was unowned, open country, the finder had possession. But if the finder was an employee or even a servant, well, then the treasure belonged to the employer or the master of the house. So here's the scenario. A man is wandering in an open field, and in some fashion, he finds a treasure. Perhaps he saw an indentation in the ground and perhaps something he thought might be a marker or perhaps his his foot stumbled against a part of a box and a partially buried treasure is found in the ground. 
But however it was, it had hid a jackpot, treasure. And so he hides it again. Now, he knows that if he simply claims it, there might be legal claims against it. And so he sells everything he has and he buys the field. And that might include selling of his house or a small tract of land that he farmed. And perhaps he had a fishing boat or whatever he has, he liquidates all of it and he buys that one field. So was the selling of everything a sacrifice for him? Well, look at what Jesus says about that. He says, then in his joy, in his joy, he sells all that he has. Now, selling everything is the happiest hour of his life. Now, what does this parable tell us about the kingdom of heaven? Well, Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is so valuable, many will pay a great price to receive it. And Jesus knew that is exactly what would happen. Some would lose their wealth. Some would lose their family. Some would lose their reputation in their community. Some would lose their freedom. And some would even lose their life. And Jesus talked that way constantly. It's called the cost of discipleship. He said that if you loved your father or mother more than him, well, you're not worthy of him. And the apostle Paul, well, he spoke that way as well. You know, in Philippians 3 verse 8, he said, Indeed, I I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. So, was that a great sacrifice? In order to answer that, you'll have to answer the question of the value or the worth of things. In the case of the man who found the treasure, well, let's put it in our terms. Let's say that all he had had a value of $100,000. But let's say the value of that treasure is $100 million. Well, did he sacrifice anything at all? Well, of course not. And that's the point. If for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, you lose your money, your family, and you suffer, and you lose your health and even your life, you've hardly made a sacrifice at all. You would have been a fool to hold on to any of that. Next to the kingdom, that stuff is worthless. What headlines are capturing your attention? The stock market, international unrest, politics, violence. Is the world out of control? I want to encourage you. What may appear hopeless is completely within the governing hand of God. What seems mysterious, unwieldy, God's people place confidence in the creator, sustainer, and governor of all things. And that's the point of Dr. Neufeld's new series, The Mysteries of the Kingdom, a study of Matthew 11 to 13. Dr. Neufeld wrote, listen, Christian, your savior is not just a personal savior. He is Lord of heaven and earth and no opposition raised up against him will stand. Such is the power and authority of your Lord. Don't ever forget that. Join us all month for the mysteries of the kingdom right here on Back to the Bible Canada. And please consider offering your support for this daily Bible teaching program by calling 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Let's look again at the second of the last three parables that Jesus told. Verses 45 to 46 says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. 
Now, at first glance, this parable is exactly the same as the last one. But if you think about it, this one says something different. You know, this man, the merchant, has done more than stumble upon a treasure. I mean, this man has been buying and selling pearls for a lifetime. And unlike the first man, this man has been on a search, and this is not an accidental find. And he can recognize a good pearl when he sees one. And what's more, he is described as someone who is in search of fine pearls. He wants the best. He trades in high-end items. And one day, he finds a pearl unlike all other pearls he's ever purchased. This one is one of a kind. It's priceless. So he might have dreamt of such a find, but he most likely wouldn't have expected such a high-end pearl. This is the kind of things that books are written about. And you can imagine him. His, his trained eye recognizes this to be the find of a lifetime. And even if he lives two more lifetimes, he will not find another one like this. This comes around not just only once, but maybe once in hundreds and hundreds of years. And so he does the easiest thing he ever did. Like the man who found a treasure in a field, this merchant gladly sells his lifetime supply of pearls, and he divests himself of all assets, and he trades it all in for a pearl unlike any pearl he's ever seen. It is the moment, the thing, that makes everything else he has done seem cheap in comparison. See, on the one hand, one might say that just like the parable of the treasure in the field, the kingdom of heaven is valuable, and one does well to pay a great price to attain it. Yep, that's in this parable, but something else is highlighted here. Let's try to understand. You know, people make sacrifices all the time. Soldiers will go to war and will even sacrifice their lives for the glory of their land or of their kingdom. Now, I've noticed that, you know, all the gang violence that plagues our large cities, you know, the last several years, I mean, all sorts of gangsters, well, they're ready to sacrifice their lives for a moment of glory. You know, guns, power, money, prestige, all of that seems valuable. I've noticed business people sometimes sacrificing their marriage and friendships for profits. Students sacrifice their time and money for a career in the future. Parents sacrifice themselves for their children. Sacrificing something we love for something that is greater, that's considered a noble thing. So on the one hand, we might think of Christ's kingdom just that way. We simply take our place among all the people of the earth who sacrifice something to get something greater. How about that's where this parable has something else to say. You see, the kingdom of heaven is more valuable than anything any human being has ever sacrificed for. This is the most valuable thing that exists, for it gives you God and eternity and forgiveness and joy without regret. And that's the point. This pearl merchant would have sacrificed for pearls in the past, but all past sacrifices mean nothing so that he might gain this one. In other words, if you know the value of the kingdom, you will know that no other item you have ever obtained is of greater value than this one. We now come to the last in this series of parables. Let's read verses 47 to 50 again. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, many Bible teachers think there's really no difference between this parable and the parable of the wheat and the weeds. You know, they think that Jesus is simply repeating himself for emphasis. But I see more in this parable than that. So first, let's imagine the scene. 
The dragnet was the most popular method of fishing in the time of Christ. Nets were usually about 750 to 1,000 feet long and about 25 feet deep at the center and only about 5 feet at both ends. So it was weighted down with sinkers at the bottom while the top floated on the surface with a series of corks. And then it would be dragged along by both ends. And of course, as the parable indicates, it would catch absolutely everything. Bad fish most likely would be those that were designated unclean as found in Leviticus chapter 11. They would have included anything in the water that didn't have fins or scales. And so the point surely is this, that the kingdom of heaven will seem to include both the good and the bad. I mean, just like the parable of the wheat and the weeds, the two will grow up together. You know, they go to the same church. They, they may sing the same worship songs. They have their kids in Sunday school together. But there is a difference between these two parables. In the parable of the weed and the weeds, the weeds represent the sons of the evil one. And in this parable, they're just those people whom the kingdom seems to drag along. They aren't necessarily planted by the evil one. They, they may not be false teachers at all, and they don't create disunity, and their presence may not be disruptive in any sense. But they are bad fish. Perhaps unlike the man finding a treasure in the field, or like the pearl merchant who comes across a, a stunningly valuable jewel, they don't realize the greatness of the kingdom. Uh, they would not be willing to sacrifice all so that they might find Christ. But, but they like the people of God. Maybe they like the morality of the faith, or maybe they like belonging. But they have not and will not pay the ultimate price to follow Jesus. You know, they're hangers-on. You know, they are hangers-on who got dragged along in the enthusiasm. And the idea that these kinds of people will be thrown into the fiery furnace, that seems harsh to some of us. I mean, after all, if what I'm saying is true, they're not the enemies of the gospel. I mean, what have they done? But that question gets us to the heart of the gospel of the kingdom. The fact is that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We are a race of people who have gone astray. We have each of us turned to our own way. We have all been rebels against God. Our sins testify against us all. And so we, I mean, all the human race. Well, we're exactly as Paul describes in Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I mean, the point of passages like this show us that neutrality towards the kingdom is not an option. You either belong to the kingdom of the one who is called the evil one or the dark Lord, or you're in the kingdom of God. There are only two kingdoms, and conversion is a change of citizenship. Listen to Colossians 1 verse 13. He, that is God the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. So that all true conversions are the giving up of citizenship in one realm for the citizenship in another. Those who simply hang on in church without entering into the kingdom of heaven are treated as all who are the sons of disobedience. Heaven and hell await us all, and there is simply no neutral ground. So then Jesus had one more message about the kingdom. The kingdom, he said, will attract both those who are sold on the value of the kingdom and those who are just dragged along in its wake. That simply is the case. Even while the kingdom exercises great influence and is of such great value 
that many will sacrifice all they have to gain it. Yet, in this present moment, it will appear to be a mixture of both good and bad. Now, for the moment, this is how Christ's kingdom will look. And in the end, as we've noted in the parable of the wheat and the weeds, comes the close of the age. In the end, there will be no mixture, no confusing blends of those whose motives are Christ alone and those who have other motives. You see, now we have the inauguration of the kingdom of heaven, but then we will have the consummation, the final phase of the kingdom of heaven, the sorting out of people between those who belong to the kingdom and those who do not. This will be accomplished at the end of the age. It's not now. But this is the conundrum. In this hour, some will see such value in the kingdom that they will gladly sacrifice all they have. In fact, it seems but a trifle to give up everything so that they might obtain the kingdom of the heavens, so that they might be one with Christ. And some will just be dragged along, and they will never understand the value or the treasure or the pearl of great price. See, I began by speaking of people who know the cost of everything, but they know the value of nothing. So let me ask you this question, my dear listener. How about you? Are you offended by the cost? And don't you understand the value? Are you as one who would, for the sake of the kingdom, gladly forsake all things? May such be said of you. John, your message today stirs up one of the most, I think, uh, difficult issues of my journey. And I think that's keeping the kingdom up front and at the forefront of my daily activities, not allowing the daily things to overwhelm that. And, and so I respond to those things rather than the preeminence of the kingdom of God. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, <laughs> Ben, uh, you know, that wonderful moment of confession, which, uh, which is good for the soul, um, I think it's a moment uh, which I need to confess as well. I think it is the problem with all of us who are believers that our eyes get clouded as to what's really important. And uh, so we, you know, know the the price of everything and the value of nothing. And so here we are. I mean, here we are valuing uh, the things of this earth. And look, we can't hold on to them anyway, and they're going to be gone so quickly. And the things that are eternal, the things of the kingdom and the glory that is to be revealed, is hardly thought of us at all. Uh, that's the great tragedy before us. So we need to constantly reorder our thinking and remind ourselves of that which is true. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow for the final message of our series, The Mysteries of the Kingdom, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. How will you begin 2019? And when the year comes to a conclusion, what will you look back on to know that you've earnestly pursued God, you've witnessed His power, experienced His love, and declared His praise? Well, Back to the Bible Canada is a Bible teaching ministry not intended simply to change minds, but hearts, and to call God's people to live lives that glorify Him. This new year, we continue to search out God's will and purpose to embrace new opportunities for declaring His word of truth and freely share Bible teaching resources that engage the mind, heart, and spirit. Our prayers that you would journey with us with your prayers, your encouragement, and your financial support. Together, working to share God's word of truth and life. 
Call us today with your gift or for more information about all the ministry resources available to you, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.